Well, turn with me, please, to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And uh, I want to read uh, from verse 7 down to verse uh, 15, I think. And uh, So, John 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and again, we ask for your help in understanding it. We pray that you come amongst us by your spirit and impress it upon our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a well-known story, um, and uh, where Jesus meets this woman at the well of Samaria, and uh, <clears throat> we're looking at... So I said this morning, we're looking at uh, this big question, why did Jesus come into the world? And uh, in this passage, we read that Jesus indirectly answering that question by teaching that there is a living water uh, that is to be had, which he alone can give, that can satisfy the thirst of the human soul. And it's in fact the, the deepest thirst that we have. So this passage takes place at, at a well and uh, people come there to draw water. Um, and it becomes a, an opportunity for Jesus to speak to, to this woman about this deeper thirst that she has. And about how Jesus himself is the answer to that thirst so first of all, I just want to talk about this thirst that uh, we all have, and which I think is present in this woman. In a sense, she represents everyone. The, the setting of this is, is kind of an unusual one. Um, Jesus is, is passing through Samaria, verse 5 uh, says that, and that, that may, may not seem odd to us today, but... Uh, in, first, in first century Judea and Galilee, any self-respecting Jew would have nothing to do with Samaritans. In fact, probably uh, uh, there's evidence that the Pharisees actually went round. 
so Galilee is in the north and uh, Judea is to, towards the south and Samaria is in the middle and the Pharisees would actually go round and out and, and up to Galilee or back, round, uh, back down the same way. And, uh, but Jesus is not perturbed by this. Uh, he just passes through Samaria and he stops off at this well, the, this well of Jacob. Another reason why it's unusual is that while this, this meeting is unusual, is of course because this is a woman. And uh, uh, it would be scandalous for a man to sit with a woman in private, but Jesus uh, doesn't seem to care about that. He's happy to sit and talk with her. And then another reason that it's perhaps unusual, for, certainly for Jesus' Jewish listeners, is that this was an immoral woman. Um, she had no husband, as, as the story goes on to say. In fact, uh, she had a string of men that she knew, uh, who were close enough and intimate enough with her that uh, Jesus called them husbands as well. There were, she had five husbands. Um, and that would explain perhaps why she came maybe in the middle of the day when nobody else was there. Um, because, uh, you know, it's the middle of the noonday, it's the, it's the noonday heat is, uh, is bearing down upon her and... Uh, uh, nobody else wants to go out at that time of day, but she can go when, she's, when it's quiet. And, you know, she has a reputation, uh, and nobody wants to be associated with her. So, so she comes out on her own. But none of that affects Jesus. He's not concerned about any of that. He's willing to enter into a conversation with this woman and ask her, give me a drink. Now, this woman had a thirst and I don't mean that she had a, a, a physical thirst, uh, that she was looking for water. But in addition to that thirst, she was looking for something else. She was searching for something. I'm not sure she would understand what that thirst was in her own soul. But it seems to me that when Jesus began to speak about another source of water, a source of living water that would come from him, Suddenly her interest is piqued, her ears, as it were, prick up. And so in verse 11 she says, where do you get that living water? Or in verse 15, she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's clear here, I think, that uh, though she's probably still thinking, Jesus is speaking about another source of water. I think she's, she realizes more than that. She's not thinking so much about a, a running stream of water rather than a well. Because even she would understand that with this stream of water, she would, she would get thirsty again. But she seems to have cottoned on to the idea that what Jesus is talking about here is something that can satisfy a thirst that she has and she would never need to draw from anything else ever again. As it were, the, the words of Jesus seem to kind of ring a bell in her heart. And suddenly out of the blue she's interested in what Jesus is speaking about. I think all people everywhere have a thirst for something greater than merely the physical and material world that we live in. 
We all know that as children, how we had certain ambitions. What do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a footballer. I wanted to be a racing driver. Um, I wanted to be a, a soldier. I wanted to be all kinds of things when I was a kid. And we've all had these ideas as we're growing up, you know. What is it that's going to make for a great life when I'm gr- growing up and when I have enough money and I have a job? And what's going to make for a great life? And when people reach adulthood, the, amb- the ambitions may change. They may have settled down to something more achievable, but there's a, there's a kind of thirst that's still there. There's still a, a desire for something. To get that perfect career, to find that dream forever house. That's a phrase I've come across recently. Have you found your forever house yet? Or to find that habit or pleasure uh, that's fulfilling in life, that... that Pursuit in life that just gives you so much fulfillment. Or establishing a a network of relationships. Maybe starting with uh, uh, someone you're really close to. Or starting a family and then having a a broader network of relationships that can be fulfilling. People are thirsty. They're thirsty for something. Yet most people, I think, come to the surprising conclusion, no matter what stage in life that they're at, They're no closer to that ideal than when they first started. And then there's that other factor that the Bible describes for us. The Bible puts it like this. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.11. In other words, whatever we may think we may find in this life that we hope is going to satisfy our, our deepest longings and our deepest desires, there is this nagging belief that beyond it there's something more, something transcendent, something greater. We haven't found it yet. Maybe there's even a God with whom we have to deal. One day we might have to come face to face with him. It's what... Uh, John Calvin called the sensus divinitatis, a sense of the deity that all human beings have, that they're made with. They know that there is a God, but they don't know who that God is or how to find him. There's that thirst of the soul. I think this is true of this woman. It may be true of you this evening. And you're like, you know, that line of the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's such a strange song, that, actually. I was looking at the lyrics yesterday. Couldn't make head or tail of it. But you understand the line. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. As we, as we look at this woman's comments, I think we see a number of problems that, that could present obstacles to her coming to Jesus. And, and Jesus has to deal with each of them in turn. There's three things I think that you can drive from this. Firstly, she's very aware of the difference between her and Jesus. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. Uh, he's a man. She's a woman. Um, she's very aware of the cultural barriers that exist between her 
as a Samaritan and Jesus as a Jewish man. It's often a, an obstacle in communication, isn't it, between people. We categorize people, and then we find it difficult, once we put them in a category, we find it actually quite difficult to listen to them. Because we put them in a box, as it were. It's one reason why non-Christians, I think, often don't listen to Christians who share the gospel with them. Because there might be, there might be race issues, there might be class issues, there might be all kinds of issues that come between you and that person. Differences between you and him, and, and the, the Christian you're speaking to. It can happen to people who, who, want, who are getting curious about Jesus Christ, but they say, well, how can Jesus know about me and my situation? There's that barrier. How can he know about me? How can he know about my situation? But we need to understand that this is a very human perspective, and it's not an excuse not to listen to Jesus. Let me assure you, Jesus knows you better than you think. He knows you better than yourself. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failings. He knows the depths of all of your sins. And he sympathizes with your weaknesses. He knows them. And so he's, he's worth listening to. Another obstacle, the second obstacle, to listening to Jesus, perhaps, is traditions. If you look at verse 12... Um, you see that this lady starts speaking about Jacob. Because this is Jacob's well they're sitting at. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, 1,500 years before, this was Jacob made this well. 1,500 years. Think back how far ago is 1,500 years? A long, long time ago. But Jacob made this well. And Jacob is, is known by everybody. It's Jacob's well. But it becomes a bit of an obstacle to understanding Jesus because, because that tradition seems to be, to, in her mind, perhaps a bit more important than what Jesus is about to say. How can you, can you be greater than Jacob? Tradition can be really difficult to overcome. Uh, people like their traditions, they like their beliefs, they like their habits. And often when people hear about Jesus, the implication becomes clear that to, in order to get close to Jesus, I'm going to have to overthrow some of my habits, my traditions, to hear what Jesus has to say. And I think it's this thought that comes into people's heads when they begin to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You mean my life has to change? Might I lose friends if I become a Christian? Might I do, have to do something different with my life? Oh yes, all of that's true. Everything's going to change. Jesus Christ will turn you upside down and shake you out and put you back down again and you're a new man or a new woman, that's true. But it's worth it. It's worth listening to Jesus. Worth giving him a hearing the last obstacle to hearing Jesus Christ, and perhaps the most important, is the knowledge of your own sin. We didn't read this part, but if, as you go on into the story here, into verse 16 onwards, you discover this woman is living an immoral life. And the thing is that coming face to face with Jesus, it says it where he kind of 
puts his finger on your sin. There's something about meeting with him that makes you feel uncomfortable, while at the same time drawing you to himself. You know, we were looking at that this morning. How God, when he's at work, he Father, the Father gives people to his Son, and he draws people and gives them to his Son. And so there's that, there's that motion that God is at work, but it can be an uncomfortable experience for us as we come to Jesus, because we begin to be aware of all our sins. Being in the presence of Jesus for this woman points out all her sin and all her failures, that she had settled for a life of sin and a desperate seeking for meaning and security and maybe pleasure. And she's just settled for all of that. And I think this is something that everybody has to face when they come face to face with Jesus about who he is and what he claims to be and to have done for, for his people. You have to face the fact that you're a sinner and he's not. There's that moment, as I think about that, there's that moment, do you remember when Peter is called by Jesus in Luke chapter 5? And, uh, you know, he's been out with his brothers and he's been out fishing all night and uh, he caught nothing and and in the morning, Jesus is on the shore and he says to Peter, throw your nets out once more, just once more, just for me, just do it once more. And uh, oh, you can always imagine the eye roll. <laughs> what does he know? But oh, all right, because it's you that's asking, I'll do it. And he throws the nets out. And of course, there's such a great catch of fish that they can hardly get it onto the boats, two boats. And what's, what is Peter's reaction to Jesus in that moment? To fall upon his knees and say, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. There's something about being in the presence of Jesus that highlights that you're a sinner and he is not. That can be such an uncomfortable experience. So much so that I think there's, there's an initial re- resistance to Jesus. So there we have it. Uh, Human beings have a thirst in their souls for something more than simply material or physical sufficiency. A thirst for meaning, for purpose, for security, for beauty. And yet there can be serious obstacles to coming to Jesus. But Jesus comes with living water. He comes to satisfy that deep thirst of the soul. And Jesus moves on from a from a discussion about who should drink, give a drink of water to whom, to deeper matters. So he says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Two things this woman doesn't know that Jesus points out. Number one, that he's speaking, what he's speaking about is the gift of God. In other words, there's something far greater than a cup of water on a hot day. But it's not something that you can work up, or you can develop yourself, or attain to, but rather it is a gift, and it comes from God. And then the second thing is, is to do with the identity of the man sitting in front of you, this woman. Uh, Jesus Christ sitting in front of her. She doesn't yet recognize who Jesus is yet. 
Now, friends, it's amazing to me just how common this is amongst people who claim uh, to be Christian. You might, we might forgive this woman for a certain degree of ignorance, uh, given this, the cultural setting that she comes from, but I'm amazed how many people I've met uh, over the years where, where people go to church and have gone there for years, and yet they do not seem to know these two things. How gracious God is with the gifts that he wants to give and who Jesus actually is. I'm talking about church people. I've, I've met so many people in Solihull. They go to church, but they have no idea how gracious God is and who Jesus is. And Jesus has to confront her ignorance. And he goes on to say, if you did know who the, these, these two things, you would ask this, the one standing before you, and he would give you this living water. I think, I think living water could have two levels of meaning. Uh, one is simply an idiom. It means maybe running water or flowing water. And uh, clearly that's what the woman thinks uh, Jesus means by that. Just some flowing water, like a river or something. But Jesus doesn't mean a new literal source of running water, does he? he go, as he goes on to explain in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the difference between running water and the water that Jesus is speaking about is the way it changes somebody's life. On the one hand, there is water from Jacob's well, good water. It serves a useful purpose. It quenches thirst, but only for a time. On the other hand, we have the living water that Jesus gives, causing one never to thirst again. What's Jesus getting at? What kind of water is this? What what is he talking about? Well, friends, I I think he is talking about... uh, Even when he's talking about water from a well, he is using a metaphor which you find in the Old Testament. And he is speaking to this woman about it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says, My people have committed two evils. Remember, remember the setting for that. God has, has a case to make against the people of Israel because they have rejected God. They've sought other gods. They've gone elsewhere to... Uh, and served other uh, idols. And God says, my, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here you have this picture of, of God who is the source of all living water, a fountain of living water. And yet the people have said, no, don't want that. I'm going to sort of dig a hole in the ground and hew out a cistern. And maybe it'll fill up with water, you know, an aquifer or something. And, and yet it never works. This is what it's like. This is what God is saying about his people. God is the source of this living water. And yet the people have turned away and tried to find uh, water in other things. 
Trying to find other sources of life, other sources of meaning or purpose or fulfillment in life. Jesus is using this picture of the daily routine of getting water from Jacob's well to show this woman this much deeper spiritual truth. That in her life she may be seeking all of these things, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, but it's all in the wrong things. Because they can never truly satisfy. And if only she would ask Jesus, then Jesus would give the water of life to her. Jesus is that, as it were, is the, the dispenser of that fountain of life that comes from God himself. And the glorious thing about this life is, is that he gives that life and it's a self-sustaining, it's almost like it's a self-sustaining life. It's welling up into eternal life. It's a continual fountain within a newness of life. I wonder, as we meet here this evening, I wonder if there's anyone here today who's beginning to feel that the things that you do in life, the priorities you set, the longings that you have, which you maybe had for some time, maybe even for years, may, after all, be a broken cistern. Something that, in the end, cannot satisfy. The longer you go on in life, the greater becomes the feeling of dissatisfaction in your life. You may be discovering that actually life without God, life without Christ is not what it's cracked up to be. And you're beginning to wonder where can I find the wells of eternal life? If that's true, praise God for that. That's the first step in your response to Jesus Christ. This is what we see in this woman as we Come to that last verse we read in verse 15. The beginning of desire. The beginning of desire in her. Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She has a desire in her own heart for this this life that only Jesus can give. What a terrible thing it is to be thirsty. Have you ever thought about that? I was brought up in rainy Scotland. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get thirsty in a rainy country. Except maybe do some sporting activity. I remember there have been occasions when I used to race on my bike and I was dehydrated. And uh, the thirst is, is, is such a powerful thing. And I understand that if, you, if you're in a, to be in a place and to be thirsty and for there to be no water is a terrible thing. Because the, the feeling of thirst doesn't kind of just dissipate and go away after a while. It just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. The world is full of people like this, spiritually speaking, who have this deep gnawing of thirst within and yet refuse to turn to Jesus Christ. But they need to come to him. Because he, ha- he alone has that water, that living water. It can give us life. And I say to you as Christians, may God give you and me the evangelistic desire that Jesus had to seek to alleviate the thirst of the human condition around us by bringing 
your friends and neighbors and family to Jesus Christ, to doing all you can to give that water of life, offer that water of life to people by offering Jesus Christ to them. Why did Jesus come into the world? To satisfy our deepest thirst. And he alone can satisfy that thirst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful picture of life that comes through Jesus Christ. Living water. Oh, we pray that you would help us to know that well of eternal life welling up within us. And may we hold it out to others who are in great need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.